When it comes down to it, what are we at our core? We are North American Watchdogs. Welcome to episode number 21 of the North American Waterfowler Podcast. I'm here for you every week, every Monday. I've got a release. I'm thinking about doing some releasing of content on Thursdays as well. Right now, I'm just doing a one a week, but I've been kind of playing around with the idea of two a week. But I can tell you this, if you are wanting more North American Waterfowler Podcast, you can get more at patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting. There's more content over there, more podcasts that I have not released publicly, all sorts of extra stuff. Also, you get a free membership to Freelance Hunt Stats, which will be the North American Waterfowler app when I change it over. Graphics are done. We're adding, you can add pictures. You can um, record your number of your dog retrieves. You're going to be able to do all sorts of new stuff over there. So patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting for more of what you want of the North American Waterfowler podcast. So lately I have been working Georgie almost every single day. After she fast passed her first finish test, uh, I learned kind of what I thought her faults were and I have been working hard to correct those. I put a little video on Facebook in a retrieving group of kind of where I'm at, got some feedback from it. In fact, I just got back just got done doing that. And I'm in a great, I am so blessed. I'm in such a great position that I am the producer slash co-host of the Flatlander Kennels podcast with Chris Jobman. If you haven't checked that out and you're a dog guy, or even if you're not a dog guy or gal, just check that out. And Chris is coaching me. He watched the video and the next episode is going to be coming out. He's giving me personal, I can't imagine a better position as an amateur dog handler to have Chris Jobman giving you personal coaching. So I'm in a good place with it. So that's really all I've been doing lately. Recording podcast episodes, working on the North American Waterfowler app, Freelance on Stats, training Georgie, trying to get to the summer when, man, I am going on the coolest, coolest fishing trip. I'm so excited about it. Jake is going with me and uh, my son Elijah is going and we're going down to hang out and fish with Kenny Begno, which was the first ever patreon member to join me on a podcast he's down in louisiana and man he offered to have us come down and fish and i'm like i am all on that i have never fished in that type of environment i have never been a part of kind of the cajun type of cuisine lifestyle so man i'm excited so that's going to be in june so excited about that he was the first winner to be like i said to be on the podcast and, and come on with me so man really really cool stuff Coming up in the near future, really exciting time of year as I've got all these hunt tests, I've got these fishing trips. And then teal season will be right around the corner and I'm already excited about that. Already excited about it. So in this podcast today, um, I'm going to do a comment of the week. We're going to have Woody back on here. And then the main meat of the podcast is going to be a discussion about what you need as a waterfowl hunter to be versatile for every single situation. This has been one of my goals for a long time. The The ultimate goal, I think, as a waterfowl, as far as preparation, to have all of the gear that you need to tackle every situation that arises. And I'm not there yet. I'm still working towards it. But man, 
I made a heck of a great deal on Facebook Marketplace. I made a trade. Involved a little bit of cash, involved three to four items. And I'm so excited about this trade. And this trade is helping me be even more versatile. So that, you know, some of this equipment, you have it in storage for maybe two, three years, but when you need it, you need it. And a lot of gears like that. I've got stuff just laying dormant in my shed, layout blinds, all sorts of stuff that's just waiting for the call. Come on, let's go. We need you now. So being versatile is really, really important. And that's going to be the tail end of the podcast. Before we get into the comment of the week, I wanted to go back and talk a little bit more about something that I mentioned on a previous podcast. It was the podcast with um, Golden Boy, Aiden. And it was a two-hour pod. Honestly, my favorite podcast episode that I released to date was the one with Aiden. Just enjoyed it so much. Just having my buddy on there and just talking, talking, talking. Just enjoyed it so much. And we were talking about pit bulls. And I told a story about how Georgie, we got back to the boat ramp. Georgie got out and there was a pit bull at the top of the ramp. And the owner was having serious problems restraining this pit bull. And in fact, it ended up with the owner laying on the ground, bear hugging this pit bull to not come and attack Georgie. That's what it would have done. And so we had a conversation about pit bulls and my dislike for them. I don't think pit bulls have any place in this, in this society. I just do not believe so. And that ruffles little feathers. And one of the people that I ruffled feathers was my personal buddy, Jake. He was one of my closest friends, chasing green owner. Love the guy. And we had a we had a further conversation. He was defending pit bulls and he has every right to. He's had great experiences with them. And I'm sure a lot of you feel the same way. And so I wanted to read off some statistics though. And I, I read this off to Jake. And um his ultimate rebuttal to this was it all comes down to the trainer. And I'll talk a little bit of that in a second. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this pit bull stuff, but I do want to follow up just a little bit. So let's go to some to some statistics. Uh, total deaths. I believe this is since 1985. And I'm just going to list the top five breeds. We're going to start with um, number five. Mixed breeds have killed 17 people since 1985. And that is 3.9% of the total. German Shepherds have killed 20 people. And that's 4.6 of the total number of deaths. Rottweilers have killed 45 people since 1985. 10.4% of the total deaths and the pit bull stands at number one with 284 deaths of human beings accounting for 65.6% of human deaths by dogs. And to me, that is all you need to know. 285 by pit bulls, Rottweilers are number two with 45. And when you go into maimings, I don't have the maiming stats in front of me, but I did see them and I was struggling to find them today for some reason. I saw them when I was talking to Jake about it. It was something like maimings. It's over 7,000 maimings by pit bulls. And like the next closest was a Rottweiler with like 650. So since 1985, there've been over 7,000 maimings or deaths from pit bulls and just 600 by the second number dog. Now people can say, well, it's the trainer's fault and they're right. They're probably right. It probably is the trainer's fault, but people train Rottweilers, poor trainers, train Rottweilers, bad trainers, train German shepherds, bad trainers, train all the dogs. 
But a bad trainer's for Rottweilers, there's still only 45 deaths and just over 600 maimings since 1985. Poor trainers train pit bulls and you've got over 7,000 maimings and 284 deaths. At That's the point in which you say, yes, under the right trainers, pit bulls are fine, but they're killing too many people to be a part of the society. Now let's go back. Let's start in 1920, or I'm sorry, 2020, and let's take a look at some of the deaths. Um, in 2020, 52 year old got killed by a pack of dogs. A four month old got killed by a pit bull. 56 year old got killed by a pit bull. One month old got killed by a pit bull. 76 year old got killed by two pit bulls and two mixed breed dogs. Five-year-old got killed by a pit bull. 25-year-old got a pit bull. This is all in 2020. 13-year-old got killed by a pack of feral dogs. The victim was killed by dogs on a rural hillside. An investigation by state police led to DNA matches with several feral dogs in the nearby mine site. Man, that's crazy. Can you imagine? You're out there as a 13-year-old and you get attacked by a pack of feral dogs. 76-year-old got killed by two pit bulls and a Labrador mix. 64-year-old got killed by two pit bulls. 60-year-old got killed by a pack of dogs. Two-year-old got killed by a pit bull. Seventy-year-old got killed by a mastiff. Sixty-year-old got killed by a pit bull. Let's read this one. The elderly wheelchair, and I have not read this ahead of time. I'm just for fun. The elderly wheelchair using woman was attacked on March 28th by a dog in the household that bit her arm, shoulder, and neck. Her death two weeks later was listed as mauling by canine. The dog was held for two weeks and then euthanized. April 22nd, 59-year-old killed by a pit bull. The victim was found dead after being attacked, and four dogs covered in blood were discovered at the nearby house. Three people, the owners of the dogs, were, in, were indicted and arrested on reckless homicide charges. The dogs had been the subject of several previous aggressive incident complaints. There was one I was reading where the, the owner actually got manslaughter. Um, we can go on. Uh, May 9th, French Bulldog. May 28th, two pit bulls. 31st. Neapolitan Mastiffs, June 1st, Pitbull. Uh, I mean, it's just over and over and over. Pitbull, 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 Pitbull Mix, Pitbull, Pitbull, Pitbull. American Bulldog or Pitbull. Pitbull, Pitbull, Pitbull. I'm just going straight down the list. Pitbull, German Shepherd, Pack of Dogs, German Shepherd, Pitbull, Pitbull, Pitbull. American, I mean, now as you get into 2023, I want. I don't want to be biased. The ones in 23 are not near as many um, so far. So far this year, it's... um. Pitbull, Rottweiler, Terrier, American, Terrier, Pitbull. But, I mean, they're killers in the wrong hands. They are killers. There's something called selective breeding. And that's how we all have all these different dog mixes. Labrador retrievers have specifically been bred and selectively bred to retrieve and be good house pets. Greyhounds have been selectively bred to be fast. And pit bulls have been selectively bred to be killers. And they're killing. So that was just my thoughts on it. I just wanted to go through some of the stats on it. I know if you've had a pit bull and you're a good trainer, you love that dog and it's a sweet dog. Right. I get it. I get it. But when we have this many people being killed by pit bulls, whether it's the cause of a bad trainer or not, those dogs have no place in our society.
They're killing too many people at too high a percentage to be a part of the society. Anyway, that's my take. You may have a different opinion, and that, that's perfectly fine. I'm sure I'll get a follow-up uh, message from my buddy Jake, which they, I respect his opinion too. I would have no issue with Jake having a pit. Well, I would tell Jake, don't get a pit bull. It's dumb to get one. But I bet if he had one, it would be fine. It would be a loving, wonderful dog. I'm sure Jake knows how to handle dogs, right? But Jake's not the problem. All those stupid, <laughs> well, let me change that. All of the people that Ill are ill-informed on how to raise a dog properly are the problem. But anyway, I thought that was worth another mention. So let's move on in to the comment of the week. It's time for comment of the week. All right. This comment came on a YouTube channel. Um, I'm sorry. This comment came on, on one of my YouTube videos. And I don't talk about it all that much, but my YouTube channel is Freelance Duck Hunting. So if you want to see videos I talk about and whatnot, um, go ahead to my YouTube channel, check them out. Also, I have decided to start a Facebook group, the North American Waterfowler Podcast Facebook group. And anytime I talk about a hunt on the podcast, I'm going to post that hunt on the Facebook group. So I wasn't sure whether I was going to do it or not. I've got Patreon. I love Patreon there. That's my main source of going and hanging out with guys and everything. But, you know, I thought might as well go ahead and set up a Facebook uh, group. So if you want to join, join the North American Waterfowl podcast Facebook group and also the Flatlander Kennels podcast group as well. That's growing fast. So anyway, here is the comment of the week. Since I hunt a lot of big water in Nebraska. A lot of times ducks will feed along the windy bank. Don't be afraid to run most of the spread tight to the bank and a tiny hook out on the end. Happy to see some different content because uh, he was posting on a video that um, I was hunting with my preacher and buddy Justin and his kid. And we were on a big lake and we were on a definitely a windy shoreline. But uh, the reason that I picked this comment to talk about is my thinking has has started to shift and change a little bit about wind and lakes, or at least I'm keeping my eyes open. For the past 10 years, there's one particular reservoir that we hunt from time to time. And on that reservoir over the past 10 years, I had noticed that on north to south windy days, especially the teal. And I don't know if this rule goes for just green wing teal, but especially the green wing teal that I've seen. They hang out on the bottom side of the wind. So the wind blowing into the shoreline. Now I had always thought that on heavy wind days, ducks liked to seek protected coves, protected points. So I would look for on a North wind, I would look for points and coves that were out of the wind. And that can be really effective. It can be really effective. But one thing that I'm, that I had thought about in the past, but I'm more and more um, believing in is that there are also a lot of times that those ducks don't care about the wind. They don't necessarily want, need to seek protection from it. They sit on right up on the shoreline of the windy shore. 
And a lot of times I'm being told and, and um, on this one particular, like the game manager says, yeah, food with that wind gets pushed right up into those windy shorelines. And those ducks sit smack on the shoreline where the, where the food is pushed over right into them. And so I'm not positive and I would love feedback from you guys on this. Cause I'm, if you know, I'm not positive. If this phenomenon is just a food thing where you always have to have food that's pushing up onto the bank from the wind. Now this makes hunting it very, very difficult because if you're on that shoreline, you've got the wind right in your face. And so you have to deal with that. <clears throat> I remember a hunt in which that we sat on a shoreline that was just like this. The wind was right in our face. Now we didn't sit there for any strategic reason. We kind of got lucky. We sat there, we hunted someplace in the morning. It wasn't working. We knew of this place. We knew it had been holding ducks. The wind was wrong. We're like, well, screw it. We just got to go try this with the wind in our face. It was Danny boy, golden, my dad and myself. And I can put this video up for you guys to see. It's an old classic. Um, it, it's a, it's a, from season two and it's an old classic. And so we're like, man, how in the heck are we going to set up the decoys on this? Cause the wind was smack in our face, like at 20, 15 to 20 miles an hour, I think. And so we had the idea and I've done this several times since we had the idea of two separate packs of decoys, about 15 in each, maybe 20 in each and a runway right in the middle of them. So pack a, and then about 10, 15 yards with no decoys in it at all and pack B. And we didn't put them in a circle. We put them in kind of lines. So the idea was kind of to make a runway. And what we were hoping would happen is these birds would see as they approach the cove of this big lake, they would see the runway. The wind would be at their back and they would swoop around the decoys in front of us. And then as they're turning to land right into the runway, runway strip. And that's exactly what happened. These birds, now some of them came from right to left and kind of landed on the outskirts of the decoys. The teal seemed to do that more, but the big ducks did exactly that. They came, they were coming from the straight, they banked off to the left, curved around right in front of us as they were attempting to land on that runway. They like pulled a giant half circle, if that makes sense. And it worked really, really well. It was really effective. Um, so I would just encourage you guys to, if you're already doing this and this is something that's in your repertoire, but I know a lot of guys on those windy days, if it's a north to south wind, their focus is all on the north side of the lake in those protected coves, those protected points. And that still is a place you should look, but keep in mind also that windy side. Because more and more, I saw it happen again this year with my buddy. Uh, this video is on, on uh, Patreon actually. Um, my buddy Terry and I were hunting at this reservoir and the wind was north to south and all the mallards were right, right, right up on the shoreline. And we went over there and there was a massive bunch of, I'm not even sure what it was, whether it was obviously something that was food that they were able to eat from, but I couldn't identify what it was that was just being pushed onto the shoreline like crazy. And that's where they were. And we set up. And shot some right there. Um, wouldn't have set up there because of the wind without flushing all those birds out of there. 
So keep that in mind. Keep focused on that and add it to your repertoire of um, ideas of on windy days and lakes where you might want to set up. So thank you so much, um, whoever posted that. I didn't don't see the name on it. I like to put the name too. But all right, we are going to take a quick break and then we will be right back with Woody's top five. The bath water, memorize the air. There'll come a time I wanna know I was here. Names on the door frames, inches and ages. Handprints in concrete at the softest stages. I don't know why. I don't try harder. I feel like throwing towels into water. Get it down to nothing. Everything that matters. Eyelashes in traffic patterns, humidity, history, chemistry, and panic. Swimsuits in the windows of electric minivans. I don't know why I don't try hard. I've been going down some, some strange. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores, and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com waypoint. That's mintmobile.com waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. All right, well, we are about ready to jump into another Woody's Top five. How's how you feeling tonight, Woody? Well, Elliot, I'm 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 doing all right. I I'm having a little I'm having a little pain in my stomach. Miss Larnetta fixed some uh, some chili tonight, so 
If anything happens that interrupts the podcast here, I apologize in advance. I may have to make a mad dash for the restroom, but I'll get back quick with you. Well, we don't want another uh, orange gummy uh, <laughs> event Ooh. like you told us about uh, the time. You know, my uh, son used to call that the triple threat. Mm-mm-mm. When you're peeing yourself, pooping yourself, and throwing up all at the same Mm-mm. time. He, he, he likes to call that the triple threat. Mm-mm. Like one time he had a triple th- threat. And most kids, normal kids, would be embarrassed about it. We went to church, and he was bragging about it to the youth minister. <laughs> this woman, this very attractive youth minister lady. I mean, she wasn't a minister. She, like, helped out. And he was bragging about his triple threat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, never, I never bragged about that situation. But I, uh, I thought about it many times. <laughs> <laughs> what you got for us, bud? All right. Well, tonight, I've got... A top five list of the most annoying people that I think I've ever hunted with. And I think this probably, I think a lot of people will probably agree with me on these. So we'll start it off with number five. And now this one might, I don't know, I don't want to hurt nobody's feelings out there. And this ain't ain't aimed at any particular person. But I tell you what, Elliot, preachers are some of the worst people to take hunting. I have taken several pastors over the years, and well, they—I guess—they feel like they deserve special treatment because they're doing the Lord's work, and so they always want you to do all the work for them, and they want you to clean their ducks for them, and they want you to let them shoot first, and they—I uh, get tired of. Well, I honestly, I just. I kind of dread it every time the preacher says, "Hey, can I can I ask a favor of you?" I know it's usually going to involve either him wanting to go or him wanting me to take somebody with me. Now this happened to me and Lim years back. The preacher was trying to get elected to the the presidency of the local uh, ministerial alliance. He said, "Now what what's going on here?" He said, "We've got me and the Christian Church preacher got a little bet going on." Whichever one of us wins, we get a free steak dinner out of the whole thing. He said, it's all coming down. We've kind of got the votes all locked up except the last one. It's uh, Reverend Ventner, Dr. Ventner, actually, uh, out at the Lighthouse Tabernacle. And he said, he mentioned to me the other day, and usually if he mentions something, it's it's on purpose. He said, he mentioned that he'd really like to go duck hunting. He knew several of our members were duck hunters. And he said, I, I thought of you whenever he... When he said it, I said, you need me to take him duck hunting? He said, well, well, I tell you what, it'd mean the world to me if you'd help me beat the Christian church preacher in this whole deal. I said, all right, preacher, you you set it up, and I'll, I'll pick him up and take him duck hunting. So me and Liam picked up the good doctor one morning and got out to the duck blind, and it was still about 10 minutes till shooting time. Liam said, Robert, I'm going to have to run back here behind the blind because my, uh, my coffee's working on me in this oatmeal bar I ate. I'm going to have to go back here and take care of business. I said, all right, Liam, hurry back now. Now, one thing that the preacher warned me about was that Dr. Ventner was a little hard of hearing. He said, Robert, he can't hear thunder, so you're going to have to talk real clear to him. I said, I can handle that. I, I can talk loud if I need to. He said, now, there's one more thing you need to know. He said, the good doctor, he, uh, Dr. Ventner, he... Well, he gets a little extra religious from time to time. He said he's really big on laying hands on folks. I said, well, ain't nothing wrong with that now. He said, all right, I just wanted you to know. Me and old Lim out there and 
Lim's back behind the blind taking care of business, and all of a sudden I hear Lim cut loose with a string of, of cuss words that'd make a Navy sailor all embarrassed. I'm telling you, Lim doesn't normally talk like that, and his mama does, but he doesn't. And Dr. Ventner said, is that Lim? Is he saying? I said, uh, yeah, I think he's just praying, Dr. Ventner. And he said, well, he sure is loud. I said, well, I said, I don't know that he's praying. I said, there's a, there's a hollow tree back there, and there's a blue racer snake lives in that tree, and sometimes it comes out and scares old Lim. So it must be what it is. Well, a couple minutes later, Lim come limping back to the blind. He said, Robert, we got to go. I'm hurt. I said, Lim, what happened, son? He said, well, I, I was in a hurry to get back to the blind. He said, I, I kind of misjudged how much clearance I had with my zipper. I said, oh, Lord, Lim. He said, Robert, I'm bleeding pretty bad. I said, well, Lim, I said, we've really got to get Dr. Ventner a couple ducks, you know. And he said, all right, I, I'll see if I can, if I can, uh, I'll stick it out for here for a few minutes. So he just sat back in the blind and it finally got daylight. A couple of wood ducks come in there. I raised up and shot them both. Dr. Ventner, I don't know, he took a couple of shots, but all he hit was buck brush. He said, hey, I got a couple. I said, yes, sir, you sure did. I said, let me run out there and get them for you. I figured we'd grab his ducks and head back to the truck. I got out there picking up ducks, and I heard a, some hollering commence. I turned around, and the doctor was, was headed out back toward the truck. I got back. I said, Lim, son, what happened? He said, well, Dr. Ventner asked me what had happened. He said, he said that you told him I'd had trouble with my snake. And I said, well, yeah, I guess I guess you could say that. He said, are you hurting, son? Lim said, I, I told him, yeah, I'm hurting pretty bad. And Dr. Ventner said, well, why don't you let me take a look at it? He said, Robert, thought you said he was a doctor. I said, Lim, he's a preaching doctor, not a doctor. And doctor? I said, come on, let's go. So we grabbed our stuff, headed back to the truck. They wasn't a word spoke the rest of the way back to town that day. <laughs> when it was all said and done, I ended up taking Lim and our preacher and the Christian church preacher all out for a steak dinner because I felt so bad about it. But anyhow, I ain't taking preachers hunting no more. Number he four exposed himself, did he? Oh well, yeah, yeah. It was a considerable misunderstanding, if you put it that way. Number four, in-laws. I have made the mistake on a couple of occasions of taking in-laws of mine to the duck blind. You can't really refuse to take them. Once you get them out there, you can't tell them what they're doing wrong, even if they're ruining the hunt for everybody else. And so I figured out. I'm, I'm established enough in my marriage now that I ain't taking none of my in-laws hunting anymore. Number three, snack stealers. I cannot stand somebody reaching in my bag of Little Debbie's and messing around with my oatmeal cream pies or my snack cakes. Now, if there's a fudge around in there, I'd probably share that with somebody, but they got to ask permission first. Just hacks me into little pieces to have somebody rifling through my bag, rustling around all them little cellophane wrappers, getting their dirty fingers all over my snacks. Number two. Number two is fellers who've had professional calling lessons. I've taken a couple of these guys hunting over the years. 
they've sat under the tutelage of some of the great duck and goose callers. The gurus, even. Well, you know what? It don't really matter who teaches you how to call with a duck call or a goose call. If you sound like a dying goat, I don't want you blowing it in my duck blind. <laughs> and finally, number one, and I think this one goes without a whole lot of explanation, and that's skybusters. I cannot stand to get in the blind with somebody who shoots at ducks and geese before you can barely even tell they're there. If you've got to lead a duck or a goose by more than about two feet, then you're shooting at them too far away. Oh, well, that's just my opinion, Elliot, but that's my top five people that I'd really rather never take to the duck blind again. I, I hope maybe I didn't hurt too many feelings with that. Well, I'm still trying to get that image of Lynn, Lynn exposing himself to the preacher. I don't mind. <laughs> well, after we dropped the, the doctor off, uh, I took him by the urgent care. He got seven stitches and a big handful of pain medication, so he was all right. It took him a few weeks to recover, and and uh, took him quite a while before he could get in a pair of waders real comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you again for joining us, everyone. This has been Woody's Top 5. So I hope you enjoyed that fourth version, fourth episode, fourth segment of Woody's Top 5. I know I'm enjoying them. I love them. They crack me up. Hope they crack you up. So now we are going to get into the meat of this podcast about how to be versatile in hunting and the amazing trade that I made on Facebook Marketplace that is going to help me be that much more versatile. But I owe the people over at Patreon some content. And I promised them that I would bring them exclusive, more exclusive content. So that's what this is going to be. If you want to get in on the rest of this podcast, you're going to need to go to patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting, where I'm going to talk all about it. I'm going to talk about everything that I have or everything that you need to be versatile and the amazing trade that I made. But until then, thank you guys so for being a part of the North American Waterfowler podcast group. Thank you for being a North American Waterfowler. Let's not be a dying breed. Let's be growing in numbers. Let's come together as a community. Stay positive with each other. Keep the infighting at the minimum and grow because we never want to see this sport become diminished. It's just too important to your life, to my life. So thank you for being a North American Waterfowler podcast. I will see you over on patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting. Until next time, this has been episode number 21. Memorize the bath water. Memorize the air There'll come a time I wanna know I was here Names on the door frames Inches and ages Handprints in concrete At the softest stages I don't know why I don't try harder I feel like throwing into water Get it down to nothing Everything that matters Fever flashes, eyelashes in traffic patterns Humidity, history Chemistry and panic Swimsuits in the windows of electric minivans I don't know why I don't